Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Heather. Appreciate that. Thank you. Good morning and welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square and welcome to Advent. Who's ready for the holiday parties? Who's ready for the lights and the carols? Even the, those guilt-trippy commercials that you see now that says that unless you spend a lot of money, you don't really love the person that you're buying the gift for. I mean, who's, who's ready for the season? Um... My wife, when I told her I was going to say this, she goes, bah humbug, you know. You, uh, because there, there's, a, there's a part of the season that's actually difficult. Psychologists say that this season, this time of, of, of the year, is the place where there's the highest spikes in mental health issues because what's happening is that there's this incredible pressure right now, or it's going to start building as we move towards Christmas, to be happy. And it makes it worse when we realize that we're not happy, that, that things are not as good as we want them to be. Things are, are, are not great. And so, tis the season doesn't quite work when there's divorce and when there's hurt and there's marital strife and family strife. And tis the season doesn't stop loneliness. Tis the season doesn't stop losing a job. Tis the season doesn't stop these things. And so what most people don't know is Advent, this season that the church traditionally celebrates leading up towards Christmas, was actually, when it first started, it was a time of mourning. It was a time of, of a, a somberness. And the reason why it was a time of mourning was because the world is hard. And the world is, is difficult. And so the church, it made no sense for the church to start celebrating Christmas before Christmas. Nobody started celebrating starting Black Friday. Nobody start, now I'm seeing people start celebrating right after Halloween. No, the church would only start celebrating the light in the darkness moment on Christmas Eve, and it would happen for 12 days, hence the 
12 days of Christmas. Because they knew the world was broken. And they had to ask, and they were answering, what will fix it? I think everybody in New York, everybody here today, everybody, no matter what you believe, has to ask that question. What's going to fix the world? What's going to actually make things right? And today's passage, is, which is not your traditional Advent passage, there's no manger, there's no uh, you know, the baby. And, and the reason why is because John is like, okay, you want to know what Christmas is about? Let's go to the beginning of time. Let's go back. Because John 1 hearkens to and parallels with Genesis 1. And he's trying to say, this is where we need to go. So let's look at this passage in three parts. We're going to look at the word was light, the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. Those are the three things. The word became light, the word became flesh, and the word dwelt among us. So first, the word was light. Look at this first verse. Go to verse 1. In the beginning, there's that Genesis 1-1 parallel, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then if you go on to verse 4, it talks about how this Word was also light. And then if you go to verse 5, this light went into darkness, into the darkness, but the darkness did not overcome it. We could spend all year long looking at each word of those first five verses, and we still wouldn't really uncover the, the depth and the density of, of this passage. And yet, stupidly, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to try to summarize it right now uh, in a, just a, a minute. Because here, here's what I think is happening. In John 1.1, John is, to the Jewish listeners that he knew was hearing him, they knew that God spoke. The word, right, is a, a, the word means something that's spoken. And when God speaks, creation happens. That's what happens in Genesis 1.1. But what floored them was the word was God, but also was with God, which is an uh, allusion towards the Trinity, that s- something could be God and also with God at the same time. Now, his Greek listeners, the word word is, is uh, the Greek word is logos, and the word logos in Greco-Roman times had this, uh, it wasn't just a, a, a regular word, it was a, an overarching principle of how the world operated. And the Greeks would have agreed that the Logos was this overarching principle, but they would have been floored that this principle was knowable, that it was possible to actually interact with this this word. And so this phrase, when it was originally given to the world, it was meant to challenge us. And it needs to challenge us today. If you're sitting here going, it doesn't challenge me, it means you haven't thought deeply enough about it. Because what he's saying is radical. This phrase changed the known world at the time, because nobody had, at, had yet said God is both knowable and unknowable. God is both imminent, but also transcendent. That God could actually be all these things all at once. That he could, uh, there's darkness, but he brings light into that darkness. And so go back to that broken world we just talked about. The place that we live in and, and, li- and is in our hearts and it's in our lives. When we go to that world, what do we do with this passage? Because one of the most asked questions that I get as a pastor, here it is, ready? It's this, how can you believe in a good God that allows suffering in my life? I get that question all the time. A lot of times the question is asked out of a place of real hurt and sadness. People are struggling with their own hardships. But a lot of times in New York, people find out I'm a pastor and it's the gotcha question. They say, all right, bub, answer this. Riddle me this. 
How can you believe in a good God that lets bad things happen, that lets suffering happen? And what I've started to do now is I start saying, listen, I'm going to answer your question for you, but first I want you to tell me what you think it is. Because, by the way, it's not just a question posed to me. It's posed to everybody. Everybody has to, to answer this question. It's always fun then to watch them struggle and, and squirm a little bit back because they're always asking me to do it. And what pe- most people don't know is the answer to this question only has five possible answers. That all the possibilities of suffering can really be boiled down to five categories. And I, here are your options. I'm going to give them to you. Ready? Option one, the secular naturalist view says this. That you've evolved out of nothing and that you're going to go to nothing. But in, the, in between this something, when you suffer, you might feel bad about it. But really, it's natural. You really can't be that upset. You can't be mad at it because it's just the way it is. That's option one. Option two is karma. Karma says this. Suffering is real. And if you, bad people get what they deserve and good people get what they deserve. And so if you're suffering, it means that you must have done something bad. The problem with this view is that much suffering that we know, we've seen it in our lives, is not deserved. And often the evil, bad people have great lives and die living off the land, doing well. And there are good people who have terrible lives. And so karma doesn't seem to work. That's, that's option two. Option three, Eastern religions, Buddhism essentially says this. There is no you, and so there is no suffering. Right? There's desire, and that's the problem, is you need to get rid of desire. It's the wheel of samsara. Get rid of that, and then you'll, you'll you know, get to nirvana. Then you'll, then you'll be able to transcend it all. Now, the problem with this view is it says detached from the world. It basically invalidates our feelings and our known senses. It basically says there is no you. There is no suffering, which minimizes suffering and therefore minimizes our experiences. The fourth view out there, says this, that there is a God, or there's gods, or there's fate. There's some sort of principle out there that is organizing everything, and you're not it, and you can't do anything about it. It's a fatalism. So it's just sort of, kind of stinks, but that's the way it is. The fifth view is the Christian view, which, go back to verse 1, says this. It says, God speaks creation into existence, which, by the way, that means what? It means that not, this isn't all random. It means there's actually design, which means this stuff that you're in right now, you matter. That's a huge deal. That's a huge principle. And then, after this world matters, in verse 5, there is light that's been spo- that goes into darkness. So darkness, there's evil, there's suffering, this stuff's real. And yet there's an answer for it. Light shines into that. So when we want our friends back, when we want cancer to be over, when we want hurting to be healed, when we want the things that are ailing your life, when we want the, the, the darkness in ourselves, when we want the, the shame that sometimes we're trying to hide from, the light of the world, <laughs> we don't want other people to see it, when we want all those things gone, that is a good thing to feel. It is a good thing to desire. We want those things to go away, and Christianity comes out and says, yes. There's a light that enters into the world and into the darkness and does something about it. In Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite passages is this, this place towards the end when Sam, it looks like everything is lost in Sam's life. He's lost his, his, um, the one person he was supposed to take care of. It looks like he's lost the, the, the very thing that's going to end the world. And he has this moment, and this is what it says. 
it says that Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart and hope returned to him. The thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow and the darkness was only a small and passing thing. It had not overcome. Here was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Now I know Tolkien probably wasn't particularly thinking about John 1, but there's a lot of parallels to that right there. So go back to your options that I just gave you. I gave you five options. And all the, all the other views get boiled down to those. I don't know why God lets, lets evil exist. And, and, and yet the fact that God breaks into the darkness with his light, I think it's a much better answer than the other answers that are out there. It's a much better answer than the secularist, naturalist view that basically says, this is just the way it is. Suffering's random. It's better than inconsistent karma. It's better than there is no you, nothingness. And it's better than the fatalism that a lot of people try to operate in. And so if you aren't a Christian, here's what I want you to do before we move on. Realize you have a view on this. And ask yourself, how's that view doing? Is it working out for you? How's it, how's it helping you or not helping you in your life? If you are a Christian, do you realize the resources that you have at your, at your fingertips? Do you live in light of this light? Do you live in light of this wonder? Do you live in light of Christmas? The spirit of Christmas is this. And if you're accessing that, great. But if you're not, or not really, ask yourself, then what is operating as that light in your life? What, why aren't you? There's something else that it must be. And how's that working out? See, I want you to do some level of reflection, because you have to do that if we're going to go anywhere else today. Start there, number one. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. Now, second point, number two. The word was light, but the light became flesh. The word became flesh. Now, some folks, some of you, if you're listening along right now, you're going to push back at me and say, okay, Mike, fine. Christianity has a better answer to suffering than the other answers. That doesn't make it true, does it? How do you know it's actually true? How can we actually have that in our lives? So go, now, go down to the very end of the passage, verse 14. Maybe the, the most astounding of the entire passage, the, the, the foundational thing, is this, that the Word God became flesh. That you, that, which, what does that mean? It means that you can see Him and that you can know Him. Put it this way. If, if I say to you, I believe in a God of love. By the way, I, I get this a lot in, in New York. They find I'm a pastor. They go, oh yeah, I, I believe in a God of love. That's a great idea. People love that idea. And yet, just as an idea, it's an abstraction. What does that mean is what I always say. What does it mean to you that God is love? And then I get to watch him struggle again. Because if you just say God is love, that's an abstraction. But if you see Jesus touching the leper, if you see Jesus healing the deaf, if you see him hanging out with the outcast, if you see him going into a home of mourning and death with a little girl and speak to her with the voice of somebody who's just trying to wake her up from a, a deep, dark slumber. When you see that, what you're seeing is Jesus loving. Ultimately, you see that on the cross. And when you see that on the cross, what you're seeing and experiencing, you know what you're seeing and experiencing? 
you're seeing love in action. If I go to you and say, I love you, and that's all I ever say to you, but then the way I live my life towards you is nothing like that, that doesn't mean anything. They're just words. You can't just have words. You have to have actions behind those words. And it's just a, or else it's just a concept. So how do we know that light entered into darkness to deal with the suffering? How do we know? Jesus. How do you know God cares? Because he's weeping with those who weep as they're suffering. And then he sees the death and then he gets angry enough to do something about it. That's how we know Jesus is God's love in action. That's why you have to have God in the flesh. That's what we're told. John says the word became flesh in verse 14. So Christmas then is saying something that no other religion tries to say, which is this, that the God of the universe, the big overarching principle, the Logos, actually experiences hunger and homelessness and hurt and hardship. And because of that, when you say, well, I feel God is distant from me, when you're saying that, that's impossible because he knows everything that you're going through. You want to know, what's a, you know, you want to know who's a miserable comfort? A miserable comfort is somebody who's never experienced the hardships that you're going through. You know what happens when you sit with those people? You sit with them, and they have nothing to really say. You know who's a good comfort? Those people who have been precisely through what you've been through. And they sit with you. Sometimes they say nothing. Sometimes what they do say is precisely what you are feeling and experiencing because they are one, and they could only know that because they've been through it themselves. That's who we have in Jesus, that he's been through it all. He's gone through exactly what you've gone through. So when you say, I, I feel distant from him, <laughs> the answer back must be, no, 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 no. Actually, he's done and been and through, and he's right there with you in that moment. That's what we have in Christmas. And so if right now, if you're saying, you know what? God doesn't know what I'm going through. I prayed to him. I reached out in my trouble, and he didn't answer me. Christmas is saying, no, God has experienced that. He has been through that with you, and he knows what to do about it because he's light into darkness. And so he knows—let me put it this way. When you feel like that the prayers aren't being answered the way you want them answered, Jesus knows that, right? He sat there and said, Lord, let this cup pass from me, and it, what happened? It didn't happen. He knows exactly what that's like to have what seemingly your prayer not answered. That you can know God is listening because he's been there before. And by the way, I'll say this. Just because you don't see a prayer answered the way that you want it to be answered, that's very different than actually if the prayer was not answered at all. And I think it's important to point that out. That it's very different. So let me give you a quick application of this. Very simple. Do you, do you, do you pray knowing that you're being listened to? Do you pray with the full expectation that it's going to be answered, your prayer? Maybe not the way that you want it to be answered, but it's going to be answered. Do you pray like that? That God in the flesh means the immortals become mortal. The, the unknowables become knowable. And because of that, you have access in prayer. See, a lot of times people just think prayer is, is uh, you know, something I do for myself. But who's on the other end of the line? What we have here that changes everything is that Christmas is not something that's just an idea. Christmas is something that you can taste and touch and see in history. It either happened or didn't happen in history. 
because the word became flesh. Now, last point. He made his dwelling with us. Um, some of you might be like, okay, word became light, light in the darkness, word became flesh, but you're still kind of saying, so what? What's the big deal? So what about all this? Go back down to verse 14. When it says that he made his dwelling among us, that word dwelling, it doesn't come out in English, but it's a really important word because it's not the word for home or house that you would see in other Greek translations. This is actually the word tabernacled. And so what John wants us to think when he sees this is he wants us to to remember the whole Old Testament tabernacle experience. Because you have to go back to Exodus where it started. And the tabernacle came about because Moses said to God, hey, I want to be with you. I want to be around you. And God said, well, you can't. There's 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 a distance between us. There's a divide. So build this tabernacle. This is the place where we meet. But it's also the place where there's going to be sacrifice so that you can see that there's a distance. That the blood and the sacrifices was this whole sacrificial system to show you that there's a divide that you can't get to. And so when John brings this up, he wants us to see that there's a cost to our brokenness. And yet when he says in verse 14, Jesus tabernacled, like, this, this needs to be a, a, a foundational, paradigm-shifting moment. Because when it says Jesus tabernacled, not Moses tabernacled or Michael tabernacled or we did the system and all the religious practices, a, a, a moment has happened now when the way we normally got to God changes. That the old way was this. You obey, and then you're going to be accepted. And that, by the way, that's how the whole world always works. Everything in the world, all religions, all philosophical principles, the way our laws are written are very simple. Obey, and then you'll be in. Do, the, do what we say, be part of our insider group, and then you'll be, by living out the, the uh, communal forms that we design, and then you're in. Only Christianity says, no, 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 you're not obey, obey, and then you're accepted. It's that you're already accepted because Jesus tabernacled, therefore, now we want to live and obey. It's completely different. So here's what Christmas is saying. The core principle of the universe is not emptiness. It's not, a, it's not even just a principle. It's a person. And this person is one who loves you. That's the core reality of your existence, is that there's a person who loves you. And the way that you know that God loves you in the universe is through Jesus. Now the problem, of course, is this, is that to accept that truth means you have to accept that you need a Savior. And I, I would argue for myself and probably for you, a lot of us go, I like the idea of Jesus. He's, it's a nice idea. I, I kind of need some help to get me over the hump, to get me over the, you know, everyday things. But generally we're like, hey, I'm good at most of life. I'm, I'm all right at, at, at doing these things. But if Jesus had to come in this world, that means you don't get to say, I just need a little bit of help. It means that you need a Savior. And so the only question left is this. Are you going to recognize what Christmas is really offering you? That's that's, that's, that's something left. That that every story that you love right now dovetails into this true story. Harry Potter, uh, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. And yes, I know those are just the stories I love. But the stories, whatever stories you love, think about what makes them great. Generally speaking, they have the same arc, which is what? The hero, it looks like all is lost. It looks like it's all over. It looks like there's never going to be a happy ending. It looks like there's no hope anymore. Which, by the way, mimics your own life, does it not? 
that there's times in our own lives where we go, you know what, this must be it. I was talking to, um, I'm, I'm now in my 40s, I, I, I was talking to a friend recently. I said, it's funny, the 20s, in your 20s, you feel like there's so much uh, uh, potential. I, I'm, I'm getting there, I'm going to get there. And so, yay, 20s. And then in your 30s, you're trying to work out that potential. And then you get to your 40s, you're like, this is all actual. <laughs> this is just the way it is. You start recognizing, like, okay, I got to get, this is who I am. Here it is, and this, I have to be okay with that. And so what, 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 what Christmas is saying is the, all, the stories of your life, when you say this is just the way it is and like, I have, there's no hope left, the happy ending that we want is at the end of the day, the hero makes it out. Somehow, o- over the odds, past the odds. And that's because those stories, I think, point to the true story. That we want these stories because deep down in our bones, we know the answer is what? The answer is that love does win over death. That love does transform us. That there's a way to wake up on Christmas morning and actually be different people. That's not necessarily going to be the same old, same old. Same old, same old. Because what John is saying here is that all those other stories dovetail into the true story that Jesus, the hero, when it looks like it all is lost— on that cross, death looked like it won. And then on the other end, by entering into that death, he defeats death, which is that darkness, through his light. That's what we see here. Through Jesus' birth, here's what we have. We don't have one more fable. We don't have one more myth. We have actually the true story that makes all the other stories true at the end of the day. And those stories then that you love are entry points into this greater story. Now, this is all theoretical, so let me try to make this as practical as possible. To end, let me just give you two practical applications. Number one is this. Christmas right now, you're not accessing all that it's, it could be in your life. Christmas is much more than what you're currently allowing it to be in your life. Because you say, well, how does this help me now? If Jesus breaks the spell and breaks the stone table and breaks death and disease and hurt and heartache and all the hardships that you've had in your life— then, you, when you know him, when you love him, when you experience him, when you actually place him at the center of your heart, you have access to all that power. How? Here's how. Don't let Christmas just be sentimental. Remember, what, what he's, when it's sentimental, that's why we get so hurt. Because when it's sentimental, it's just this, 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 this uh, sentimentalism. That's what, this is what every Netflix and Hallmark movie right now is saying. It's like, oh, the spirit of Christmas. It's just sentimental. Don't make it sentimental. Make it real. And the way you make it real is that God is knowable and he's here and he's present. Sentimentality is depressing. Sentimentality is I'm supposed to be happy. Realness says you are because of what Christ has done and what he's doing. Christmas is real. If it's real, everything changes. There's a scene in, in, in um, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe where the witch has made it always winter, never Christmas. But if this is true, then guess what? Your life can always be Christmas, and it'll never really be winter. Never again. That's what we see here. He has come, and when you let that beauty of Christmas, not just the lights, not just the mirth, but what the light and the mirth points to, and it affects you, then you can have change and peace and hope. Are you letting Christmas be what it could be in your life? It's the first application. The way you do it is that you, you allow it in. All these modern movies, have you seen some of these new, um, more sophisticated movies? There's no happy ending. 
because we're too sophisticated for that. You know what never sells? Those movies. <laughs> the blockbuster movies always have a happy ending. Why? Because it's what you, the people want. Why? Because it's what we need. And you can have that with Jesus. Choose Christmas. Make it real. First application. Now, last one. Last application. Christmas means also an answer to suffering. It's the ultimate answer. Some of you right now, I, I, I just want to try to make it as real as possible. Some of you are going through incredibly difficult situations in your life that I have no idea, and other people can't, don't either because nobody can really sit with you in those moments. There's some pain, there's some hardships, and you're wondering, probably you're wondering, why doesn't Jesus actually heal this suffering? And I, I, I've heard some, as a pastor, I've heard some incredible stories where God actually does heal, those stor- heal you. And th- we love those stories. We retell those stories in church all the time. So it's possible. But what do we do when he hasn't healed? Right? He, I prayed for my dad to not have cancer, and he didn't heal. I think a lot of you might have prayed for my father not to have cancer either, and he didn't heal. You know what never gets told in church? That story. Nobody wants to talk about those stories. I cried out to God, and he didn't answer the way I wanted. Last night, I was, I was trying to write this sermon, and, and I remembered actually a conversation in the last days with my dad. When I brought up to him and I said, you know, Dad, it's not fair that you're going to die early. It's not okay. And I remember he cut me off and said, Mike, you're coming very close to saying that you know how life should go. And I said, yeah, I, well, okay, maybe not all of life, but I know how it should go here. <laughs> and I know how it should go for you. And he said, he said this, he goes, okay, so you're saying I, you know how life should go, one, Two, if there is a God, he must know this too. So therefore, three, if my life doesn't go the way that I want it, either God is bad or he's not real. And I got quiet because I knew it was coming next. (laughs) And he said this. He said, Mike, you can't possibly know that. You can't. How... You can't know that. You don't know what needs to happen or when it needs to happen or how it needs to happen. And he said this. He said, you know what? You should go watch some sci-fi. <laughs> and I didn't know what he meant by that, but over the past couple months, I think I figured it out. In sci-fi, there's this trope about time travel. That if, there, there, there's a new reboot of The Flash. Like, I think it was season three when The Flash goes back in time to try to save his mother from, from the murder that she experiences and he saves her. But then when he goes back to his, you know, the, where he was supposed to be, the timeline changed and everything got worse. Um, there's a doc- Doctor Who episode, a, a Christmas special, where uh, the doctor goes back in time and saves this woman who's a very important person in, in humanity and saves her. She was supposed to die, or she was going to die, and instead he saves her. And there was a, because of that, there's, a, there's all these unforeseen negative changes. And the woman calls him out on it before. He says, wait, wait a second, you, who gives you the right to do this? How could you do this? He says, well, I'm, I'm Lord over all of time. I can do these kind of things. But now, because she lives, she never um, uh, inspires her granddaughter, who then goes off into, into space travel and changes humanity because of it. And I think what these, these tropes are trying to do is they're trying to show us that we can't look at, in our lives, any particular situation and know how it's supposed to be and how it's supposed to go. Because you can't possibly see all things. Just because you can't see the good in the moment that you're in right now doesn't mean there isn't. 
Just because you don't know for why something happened doesn't mean there isn't a good reason for that. And the, and the ultimate version of this, friends, is Jesus. When Jesus' mom is crying because she sees her son on the cross, she had no idea that actually he, that was precisely where he needed to be so that all of us could have access to hope. And in that moment, she didn't know it. And if that's true, is it possible that you can't see the good in your situation right now even though it's there? Is it possible that you might not know the reason for what's going on in your life, but that doesn't mean there isn't one? The gospel is this. It's not if, Je- if you love Jesus, then he's going to bless you, you're going to have a great life. That's not the gospel. The gospel is actually the opposite, that you were dead and you deserve nothing, but he died for me and he won by losing. And that's the ultimate version of goodness coming out of evil. And if that can happen in his life, then it can happen in your life. And so what if, what if God takes the brokenness that you're experiencing and actually makes you more beautiful through it? What if the suffering that you go through, it's bad, it's real. It's not natural. It's not always fair and deserved. It's not nothing. It's not just, you know, fatalism the way it's supposed to be. But there's a Lord of the universe who cares about it so much that he enters into this space and through his light he, brought, he begins to break up that darkness. And then what you have then is Christmas means this. It means even if you haven't been healed, we know healing is coming, ultimately. And because we know that, we can have aspects of that healing now, and then we can actually live out lives in this world to help heal and bring this light and wonder as well. In small spaces, but real ones, and tangible ones. The ultimate answer to suffering the best answer to suffering between all those five versions is this, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He word is dwelt because it wasn't he will dwell if you're a good person. It's not he might dwell because if he feels like it. No, it's already happened. He already is here and dwelling. And if it already happened, then the only thing left is to live these love lives even in the suffering and hurts. Even in when we go, I don't know why you're doing this. Even when we don't know But we do, ultimately. We know that good comes out of evil. That light breaks up darkness. And we can live in light of it. Will you receive Christmas today? Will we start the process of really being intentional as we move towards Christmas? Because if the God of the universe is willing to be a baby, to be killable for you and for me, then the only thing left is to respond in love. To respond out in gratitude and love and care. The only thing left is then what? It's to sit in delight and wonder and awe. That doesn't mean, as, as Vanessa said earlier, it doesn't mean there's not grief. It doesn't mean there's not ups and downs. But we can sing joy to the world. For the Lord has come. Let us receive this King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message. It can be so heady with all this, the logos and word and flesh and with and around and thank you for careful, careful hands that try desperately to explain to us the mysterious nature of your love and care. That through the Trinitarian love, the perfect love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have access to that love now through your 
the work and life of Jesus, Father, who started by saying, I'm going to live and be with them and experience everything that we've experienced. And so we have, we have you, Father, who, who knows what we've been through, and we have you who can do something about it. Help us to pray. When we don't feel like praying, help us to come close to you in the darkness so that we can have light. Father, if we already have light, if we're feeling pretty good today, I pray that we take the bandwidth that we have to enter into the love, into the needs of others with love. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.